You know, this series of rising up, the first one was kind of big overview. Is that we've got to rise up out of our sinful ways. Last Sunday was honing in a little bit more of hitting home of what shapes us, what molds us, and talking about how God's power wants to come in and stir you and and help you to get out of that culture and out of that perspective. And in there, we talked about how you're going to have to transform your mind to the renewing of the Word. And last Sunday was was a powerful Sunday, very powerful. I can't reiterate what the Lord was doing in the Spirit and the testimonies that I've got of people being free and, and how it has touched them. But as we went through that service in the altar time, the Lord laid something on my heart that I think we're missing. And it, it took place here. I sensed it and I saw it in some, and, and, and it's to those that I've come by to preach today. Um, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, 36 through 41. Those of you that are visiting with us on Facebook, we welcome you. We even have a couple here that watches on Facebook all the way from Arizona, is it? So they're Dave and uh, Dave's sister. Uh, she's with us. So it's always good to see people that actually watch us. We have Max in Alliance that watches us. We have Cynthia, I believe, is local that watches us. We're praying for her uh, eyes and that she will be able to completely see again and actually join us in person from time to time. Are y'all ready today? Okay. Tonight we will be praying for those that are going on the missions trip. So those of you that are going on the missions trip, try to do all you can to be here tonight. If you've never joined us for an encounter night, join us tonight because it will be the last one of the year. And usually what we do is I don't preach. We, we just worship and let the Spirit do what He wants to do. Amen? So verse 36 through 41, very famous passage of Scripture. says, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Hmm. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Father, we just pray today that revelation will hit our spirits that you will continue to do the work that you did Sunday, but do it in a deeper way. If we truly won't fire to fall down, then this message is appropriate for that song. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, 
I've often dreamed and longed just to be near Jesus when he was alive. Not in the spirit, but just, I think it would just have been an amazing honor just to have heard Jesus preach. Not because I'm a pastor and I would like to study his oratorical skills, but simply just to feel the power behind the words that he spoke when he spoke them. And, and I know unequivocally that you can tell that his words were powerful because of the reaction that he got in the crowd. The reaction from the Pharisees and the controversy that he created when he spoke, when he opened his mouth, controversy followed him. And I know he was charismatic. He had to be charismatic because when he spoke, he drew crowds so huge that he didn't have to have an invite card. That he didn't have to have a radio broadcast or Facebook saying, come to church. He, he did it without technology. The Bible says that he was so charismatic that thousands of people came to hear him simply because of the words that were proceeding out of, the, out of his mouth. And after people heard him, they would go back and tell their friends, you got to hear this guy talk. So just to be near Jesus would have been awesome, but to enter into his circle, to begin to sit down with him day to day and to hear him think, to hear him expound on ideas, to to watch his ability to look at a circumstance or situation would be amazing. To be his disciple in the inner circle, to travel with him on a day-to-day basis, sitting there just, just longing from the crumbs that spill from his wisdom would have been an honor and a privilege and, and, and just absolutely majestic. And then to walk out from that inner circle and look at somebody and say, yeah, he handpicked me. <laughs> I'm one of his disciples. Would have been just incredible. I mean, I can hear them now just talking. I was a tax collector and he called me out of my secular position into this sacred position. Or I was a physician looking at at patients in my private practice. But he called me out and into ministry. I was a fisherman with a great business feeding my family, going on vacations. But I walked away from it all just to follow him, to be with him, to walk with him, to watch him walk on water, to see him touch a casket and somebody raised from the dead, to be with Jesus as he moved with miracle signs and wonders and and to see the awe of the crowd as blind men came to see and he took two uh, uh, fish and five breads uh, uh, or loaves of breads and turned them into feeding 5,000 for the crowd. It would have been absolutely incredible because I could have been an eyewitness to the power and to the authority of God. But what we're seeing in this passage of scripture is he now comes to a place and in that place there were no crowds, there were no miracles, signs, or wonders. Where he came there was no healing, Where he came, he preached absolutely no sermon. But he came to a sacred place. A place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane was an orchard 
filled with olive trees. These olive trees casting their branches into the Jerusalem wind, extending themselves all the way into the air, responding to the rays of sun to produce a fruit called the olive. Somebody say olive. Olives back then, yes, they were for eating, but not the focus of what they were produced for. Yes, they were consumed, but the olive was produced simply because of the oil. In order to get the oil out of the olive when the fruit was right at its ripest, it was plucked and then it was crushed. At the time of maturity... At the time where this olive was developed, at a time where the olive was reaching its capacity, it was stripped from the vine and crushed. Why? I'm here today to tell you, church, that its full greatness, the olive's full greatness, didn't come with the association to the branch. Its full greatness came With the association of pain and the association of pressing. I'm telling you today that you will never come into your full greatness with the association with the branch. It's always your association with pain and pressing. Because Gethsemane after all meant oil press. Gethsemane is the place where Jesus went to after the final supper, after the Passover. A little church service, if you will, because this was not a normal Passover because he began to to shift people's thinking. Which is really what an orator should do up here is to shift your thinking to how you normally think. Because what he was saying is what you are normally drinking. I'm changing the whole meaning of it. What you normally eat, I'm changing the whole meaning of it. He was preaching a sermon saying before you thought of a lamb. You thought that it was the lamb of your ancestors that, that, you, that you used to put the blood on the doorpost because that's what Moses told you to bring you out of Egypt. But guess what? I don't want you to think any longer of the lamb because the lamb is just a teacher teaching you about me. Take this, drink and eat. Understand when you eat this bread, this is my body that was broken for you. And when you drink this cup, it's the blood that was shed for you. I'm shifting your thinking He was preaching a sermon. They were having a church service. And then after the church service, he said, Boys, let's get up from this table and let's take a walk. Where are we going, Jesus? Follow me into a tight spot. Somebody say tight spot. I want to give you a definition of what a tight spot is. It's anything that God uses in your life to press more of our flesh out so that the anointing can flow from us to demonstrate God's love and God's power. Are you hearing me? Anything that God uses in your life To press more of your flesh out, there's less of you, 
there's more of him. Now, last week we talked about that family perspective. I'm just going to remind you of these. I know a lot of you, you know, set these down and said, Pastor, I'm free from this. But here's some of the things that we talked about last week from our family that he wants to press out of us. And just so that you know what I'm talking about, these are things that he wants to continue to press out of you. And he'll use situations, circumstances, and trials to create a situation that brings you to a tight spot. That when you're on the verge of divorce, it's not really about the divorce. Maybe he's showing you something in you that needs to be squeezed out. Maybe that argument that you continuously have is not really an argument at all. But God's showing you this part of your flesh needs to die where the anointing of God can flow. Are you hearing me? When you're not having a good relationship with your kids, maybe it's not because they're a teenager. Maybe they're showing something in you that needs to die so that you can have a good relationship with your child so the anointing can flow from you to your child that they'll experience God's love and God's power. Have you ever been in a tight spot? Circumstance, situation, and trial that... That you just view it as something temporary. That just God get me through it. But he's like, no, I'm using it to get something out of you. I'm putting you in a tight spot. I'm, I'm pressing you. Because that pressure from the conviction of the Holy Spirit bears down on us like the presser did in the olive to excrete the oil. Because some of you, last week... When we preached and you came up here, you had a battle inside of your soul. Either I walk out of here and I follow the Spirit, or I continue to follow the flesh. That tight spot is where the war happens. It's where the war happens of that battle between the flesh and the Spirit. The frustration that all of us live in when we wake up on Monday morning after a a super spiritually charged service of of, I want to do good, I want to do what the pastor says, and I want to do what the Bible says, but sin is always there winning the day. We've talked about how you've got to lay it down, you've got to rise up, you've got to transform your mind, but there's another secret ingredient we're going to talk about today. A tight spot where we feel conviction pressing down on us. Like I've said, now we call it condemnation. No, baby, it's conviction. And it's amazing to me that when we as a believer... We come and and we have these things is, is usually we don't confess these things. Because when everything is going good in our life and we look like we got it together, baby, it will draw a crowd. 5,000 people will hang around you. But when you come to a tight spot to admit, yes, I've got insecurity. Yes, I've got a temper. Yes, I do throw tantrums. Will you pray for me? Can I confess my sin to you? Everybody will be around you when things are going good. But when you're at your lowest trying to go deeper with God, how many people disappear from you when you're in your tight spot? Look down at you with their long sanctified nose instead of getting in there and praying with you. 
Because every now and then you will find in your walk with God, you will always come to a tight spot. Whether that be preaching of a message or reading the word or the Holy Spirit convicting you on a day-to-day basis. It's a place of pressure. It's a time where your life may be tried. A place that really, at the end of the day, separates the men from the boys. Separates the adults from the children. A place where you're pressed and yes, it'll be tight. On the verge of divorce, but it's really going to show you what you got. On the verge of of losing your kids, but it's going to show you what you got. It'll show you who's with you and who's not. It'll show you who loves you and who doesn't. Who's for you. Who's not for you. And we've all, last week... Came to a tight spot. And I would say to you, even Jesus came to his tight spot and he was pressed. Because what you're seeing in the Garden of Gethsemane is the battle of his flesh and his spirit. His humanness and his divinity. Even Jesus had to come to a place where he was pressed. So who are we to think? I'm exempt from tight spots. I'm exempt from the battle. If you are a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't just follow Him for the miracle signs and wonders. We have to learn how to follow Him into that place called the tight spot where it presses down on our flesh. I would say you really don't know how to really praise him until you've been to a tight spot and pressed. You really don't have a testimony until you've been to a tight spot and you've been pressed. You don't really have a strong marriage until you've been to a tight spot and you've been pressed. After you've been to the tight spot and been pressed, then it tells how strong you really are. Tells how mature you really are. And watch this, Jesus knew that some of the disciples couldn't handle it. He told the nine, watch this, he said just sit over here in close proximity to the tight spot. I don't even expect you to go deeper with me. Nine of you are really not made of the stuff that it takes to endure the pressure of the tight spot. Oh, I know you were there when I walked on water. (laughs) Of course you were. I know you were there when I fed the 5,000. Powerful stuff. But nine of you, I I picked you even without the expectation of loyalty. Just rest here. Oh, I'll be back. But three of you, follow me deeper. Remember that message that I preached about the Mount Transfiguration? Who was that? Peter, James, and John. Now who do we see going deeper with him in the Garden of Gethsemane? (gasps) Peter, James, and John. They wanted to go deeper. They wanted to be with him. 
They left the 12 behind just like those with valley mentality and went deeper with Jesus. And even amongst believers, every now and then there is a remnant of people in the church that have to step aside and say, I'm not one of them. I know I used to drink, but I don't drink anymore. Not that it's going to send me to hell, but I don't want another brother to stumble. Y'all go drink if you want to, but I'm not a part of that. See, I don't want to be on the outer perimeter of His presence. I want to constantly be in the Holy of Holies where He is, being like Him, being holy that He is holy, transforming my life, less of me, more of Him, killing things in my life. I like going to the tight spot and seeing things die. I don't want to be like this. Because understand, church, I've been in this long enough to understand the majority doesn't come. Not the 5,000. Not the 70 that he commissioned. Now we're seeing not the 12. But now again, he's showing us down to three. Three people going deeper with Jesus. With him in the tight spot of pressure. Seeing things that the others didn't see. And we'll see that in a minute. But see, the tight place, we have to understand the tight place. Yes, there's the definition for us. For the tight spot, for the olive, it was the place where the flesh of the olive was crushed. Why? So that the inner oil could be excreted. And I need you to understand, as a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that wants that deeper relationship and wants the anointing of God upon your life, always understand that there is a price to be paid to flow in His anointing. Because you cannot be greatly anointed without your flesh being crushed. So let's combine these two. Let's look at what the anointing means. The anointing is God's anointing flows through us as we love Him or going deeper with Him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and become obedient to Him. I can love Him. My kids love me. But they're disobedient. Hello. How many of you got some disobedient kids? God, I'm dealing with liars today. (laughs) My kid's never done anything wrong. (laughs) Lord have mercy, I've seen differently. God's anointing flows through us as we love Him and become more obedient to Him. And the anointing flows through us to those that are hungry. To those that are longing for the touch. But when we close our hearts with pride, with envy, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, we could add uh, dull ears and disobedience, we grieve the Holy Spirit and that flow can be clogged up. Are you with me? Because if you don't understand those two, you just won't understand the rest of the message. So if you understand those two... When you get down on your knees at the altar, the altar for me is a tight spot. It's a time where I'm exposed to the word and I respond to the word and I get down here and I start doing war. 
It can be at the church. It can be in my private home. It can be wherever I make the altar. Are you hearing me? It's when I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, crucify the flesh. You know what God hears? Crush me. So that's what he starts doing. Because oil only comes out of crushing. But most believers do not pay the price to be set apart and go deeper with God. Because you know what most of us want to do? Most of us want to come up here to the altar and be prayed by somebody that is an anointed person in hopes that when I go home, suddenly my flesh will just fall off and die. And then they go home and realize I haven't changed one bit. This church stuff ain't working. This Bible ain't working. This praise ain't working. This book I read ain't working. No, baby, it don't work like that. That's not how it happens in the church world. They want you to do the fasting and the praying and the laboring in the Spirit. Change me now. Change me quick. i got to get back home to see the football game. I want my flesh to die today. No! The anointing to be set apart, to come out of the twelve, is going to cost you something. And that tight spot will inconvenience you. We saw how it will mess up your plans. Because this has been working for me. (laughs) That tight spot gets all up in your business. And it says I've come here to bring you to this point. And I want to disrupt your life. And that is why the anointing cannot be uh, accomplished in the tight spot where, where, where or excuse me, uh, the anointing can only be accomplished in a tight spot where you are pressed. So hear me, all you charismatic Pentecostals. The anointing doesn't come in the shout. The anointing doesn't come in the, woo, I feel him, woo, hallelujah, woo. I'm anointed. Nope, doesn't come there either. It doesn't come when you're... I mean, I don't even know what you're doing there. There's one. Got that one. There's somebody in Community Life Center. All they do, that's where in Florida. And I said, what are you doing? And they're like, we're disrupting... The kingdom of darkness. And I said, if you actually think that right there intimidates the devil, all you're going to have is red hands and nothing's going to happen. Because the anointing don't come there. The anointing only comes out of the tight spot. When we've warred in the spirit and literally killed something. Because listen, we've created a generation... We're now what we're hearing. Praise and worship. And I love praise and worship. Do not get me wrong and don't leave the church because I preach this. But we're so praise and worship centric that we're no longer prayer centric. 
So what we're trying to do is we're trying to dance and praise our way into a place where really we need to crawl into on our knees with our head down, our heart humble, and said, this is what your word says, clean me up and crush me. So when we create a praise generation that everything's hunky-dory, guess what we create? A generation of church folks that can't take nothing. A generation of church folks that don't stay long in a church that preaches the word. I just wish the pastor would stop where we could have the altar call and I could just praise. Why can't the worship service go for three hours? Because you might like to sing, but a lot of people in here don't even sing in the shower. Now we got generation of church folks that are easily offended. He said something hurt my feelings. He told me stop sleeping around. <laughs> Am I right? My pastor don't drink beer. I'm going to go find one that does. <laughs> Just saying. They give up on marriages. They give up on any. I got a hangnail. Lord didn't heal me. I'm done. So we have a church generation that doesn't have the stuff anymore because they haven't been in prayer. They haven't been in prayer so they have no structure. If they have no structure, they have no power. Why? Because you can't praise your way into a tight spot. You got to pray your way through the tight spot. Y'all might not think it, but I'm preaching good today. Because I'm sick and tired of the shake and bake Christians who want something out of me and out of the church for nothing. They want a blessing for nothing. They want a healing for nothing. They want a breakthrough for nothing. They want to come to church for nothing. But the anointing and the pressing of your flesh to the point of death always costs you something in the spiritual realm. That's why I look up to Kathy Ariano. She went back and back and back and back to that altar for a year until God healed her. Because she was made of prayer. She was made of the stuff and the structure and the power that said if I keep going to him, eventually I'm going to touch the hem of his garment and I shall be healed. To the point of dying. And she's here today and she's going to already has started a healing ministry. Give him praise for that. So Jesus had to pay the price that we do too. That's why it amazes me. Honey, how long is it going to take you to get your hair done? Oh, about an hour. Okay. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going with this? How long is it going to take me to get my teeth done? Oh, about an hour. <laughs> oh, great. But we endure it, right? How long is your lunch break? Oh, about an hour. <laughs> but we can't even get you to pray for an hour. Encounter night is going to be the emptiest ever. You watch and see. Unless the conviction comes on you and we're all here tonight. Look, the local church pastor can't get the modern... Now, this church is different. We can't get the modern church to pray to even save their life. 
Because we watch them come to the altar. They respond. And I love. I still don't know what this is. I mean, when I watch a fight, they're like this, and swords, bloody, and raw. But we come to the altar, and we're like. And then you watch, three minutes. Maybe he'll think I'm bowing down. But my arthritis, when is he going to dismiss this thing? Right? And then I pray for you, you're like, okay, I'm done. It's like, no, just because I touched you doesn't mean anything happened. Get down on your knees in war. Because you came up here for something, right? Don't leave without it. But one hour is a long time when it comes to praying. Now, But watch this, one hour of 24. Jesus asked him, can you just pray for me one hour, guys? And do you know what I'm going through? How many of you are 45 in here? Okay. I feel old. I have lived 407,000 hours, 407,304 hours. Look at the days that God has given you and look at the hours you've played with. That you spent watching your favorite television show. Or, you know, the 0 and 4 Huskers. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the dogs are 5 and 0, so. (laughs) I see my Tennessee guy, he's in depression. He didn't come because the dogs beat him yesterday. But analyze it. All the hours that God has given you, how many of you spent in prayer? Because, see, I understand. I I can make a sermon, baby, that will get you to shouting because all I have to do is create a sermon of God's responsibility to you. That's right. Bless me. Woo, Lord. I can get into that. Woo, hallelujah. But then pastor preaches a sermon of my responsibility towards him and it gets quiet as a Catholic cathedral in here. Sometimes it gets so quiet when I start preaching about your responsibility, I want to go to sleep, and I'm the one doing the talking. Right? Why is that, though? It's because we want something back without putting anything in it. That's why we say, give it to me, preacher. Give it to me fast. I got places to go and people to see on Sunday. I won't tell you who, but but somebody told me, he said, I, I, I'd come back to your church. I love your church. But you preach too long. <laughs> and then I thought to myself after looking at Facebook, you are the same person that spends $65 per ticket to go to a football game and you can sit there and watch that, but you can't come in here for an hour to be edified. Could it be, church, that we've got our priorities in the wrong place because what we do now is we spend more money on entertainment than we do edification? 
Maybe we've chosen the wrong heroes. <laughs> and since it's quiet in here, I'll just get to my point. I won't bother y'all anymore. What, <laughs> what I'm trying to get you to understand is I am giving you every Sunday morning the Word, which the Word, when applied, gives you the chance to have a godly marriage. It gives you the chance to have a godly family. It gives you the chance to say, I can have a life that is anointed and set apart, and because of that, my life can be blessed. Not that I'm going to always tip a toe through the tulips, but I will have a blessed life because my marriage is strong and my kids are strong and I'm thinking financial biblical principles and my finances are strong and, and my friendships and my fellowship are strong. I can literally have a life that others long to have and, and strive to have that they say you've been through this circumstance trial and situation what is the hope that you have and you can say it's Jesus and it gives you the opportunity for the anointing to flow that they too can experience the love and the power of God but in order to do that you've got to come to your tight spot and be pressed until every bit of flesh dies and some of you need to stop saying Lord bless me Because when you say, Lord, bless me, what he's hearing is, press me? Because in order to be blessed, you've got to be pressed. Are you hearing me? Press me, God, until glory comes out. Press me until the anointing comes out of me. Press me until my flesh and my pride and my mood and my anger and my temper and my tongue and my harsh ways and my fear and all the temptation and that I'm a fighter. Press me until all of that dies. Press me until you find the only thing that's coming out of me is you. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? I just want to know. I just want to know who's, who's flowing. Press me until I'm stronger and I rise up a stronger person. Press me until the better me comes out. Press me until I'm no longer a churchgoer, but I'm literally a Christ follower and I become obedient to your word. Press me, Lord. Press me, Lord. I know not all of you want to clap to that because you still don't want to give this up. Let's go a little bit deeper. Here's Jesus. He's been reduced from the 5,000 he fed, the 70 he commissioned. The twelve that he called, down to the three that were hungry. And any time you go deeper with Jesus, he will show you deeper things. Don't believe me? So he's with the three, and he gives them top secret information. And he says, boys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The leader, Jesus, is sorrowful unto death. He gives them classified information. 
And their response was... And I'm telling you, your tight spot's going to be lonely. It's going to be lonely because we don't have a church where we confess one to another. Because we have to come in acting like we are somebody. But I want to be with a group of friends that don't sleep and that they can pray for me in my tight spot. So what I have found with friends, it's not the number of people around you, it's the quality that can take these things and go, I want what God wants for you. How can I join you in prayer to help you win the battle between your flesh and your spirit? Have you ever wished that you just had somebody that would really pray for you? I'm not talking about healing. I'm talking about you could go to and go, look, I just fought with my kids and with my wife. That is ugly. God doesn't like ugly. Can you join me in prayer? I'm talking about someone who would share the weight of your weakness. The pressure and the burden that the weakness creates in your life. The cost of the fleshly you and what it's doing to your marriage. What it's doing to your kids. To the point that you've got quality around you that they have the eyes of Jesus and they too say, I want the best for you because you're too big now to think that small. Are you hearing me this morning? So I would ask, are there three left in this church that would say, yes, pastor, I'm willing to bear the cross, or have we created a crowd that's only here for the crown? Because that's what church is about. It's about coming, getting into the Word, finding out where we're weak, finding out where we're small, And becoming the best of who God created us to be. To go out there and flow in the anointing. To show the love and the power of God to everybody else. We can create a service where everybody gets the crown. We can create the hoop and the holler and the secret sense of service. That you feel good about yourself and you think you're just the victorious person ever. Or we can actually come to the cross each Sunday. And it's going to be a lonely place. It ain't church growth strategy. I can tell you that. Because people literally leave this church because of the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm just down to three, and y'all are really good tithers, I don't mind. Because we got to pay Mike Schaff for insurance. I see him in the audience. So when I think about the Garden of Gethsemane, I think I come to the Garden alone. When I come to the garden, I come to the garden alone alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice that I hear that is falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. But while I'm there, He walks with me and He talks with me. And no matter what I bring, He tells me that I am His own. So as I walk out, the joy that I share as we tarried there, because I'm free, none other has ever known.
And Jesus comes back and he says, didn't I just tell you that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Do you, do you see the blood coming down my face? And your reaction is to sleep? Have you ever been in a place in your Christian journey where you come down from the uh, altar and, I mean, you, you just had a snot slinger, you went to war, you felt things fall off, and then you get in the car and it feels like you're the only one in the car because they don't understand what you're talking about? Because the garden is the lonely place. The Bible says that Jesus kept challenging them and challenging them. And each time after challenging them, he came back and found them asleep. Now the first time I excused them because after all, maybe they did have wine at the Last Supper. And you know, they're a little bit, yeah, we're going to the garden. (laughs) And then they were coming down off the little, you know, wine spoliolio stuff. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we can just excuse them. Then I realized, wait a minute. Before the Garden of Gethsemane, they had a church service. Before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was preaching and radically transforming their mind and their mentality and and doing a shift. But what I realized is their behavior had not changed even from the sermon of Jesus. They heard the message. But they slept anyway. And what I'm trying to tell you is for all you sleepers, wake up and look at Jesus. Because we have some people that don't sleep their Christian life away. And we do have some people that are sleeping their Christian life away. But whoever you are, look to Jesus because Jesus let them sleep and he went further. And some of you that have been sleeping through your Christian walk, if you are here today and you have not been praying, you need to start praying. But those of you that are not sleeping your life away and you are praying, but some of these things haven't fallen off of you, I want you to look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of your faith. Look to Him as an example because what you'll find is He went further and somebody in here There is a breakthrough that you need. Let me encourage you. Be like Jesus and go further in your prayer and go further in your tight spot and something will fall off of you. Because when you go further in prayer, there is a deep place in prayer that is beyond our religious superficial little prayers. There is a deep place of prayer that demons cannot go. There is a deep place of prayer that Satan cannot go. Darkness cannot go. Depression cannot go. And when you get into that deep place of prayer and you start going into spiritual warfare, Satan loses his grip off of you because the anointing is coming out of you. I go to that deep place of prayer for the anointing to be over my marriage. For the anointing to be over my pastoral ministry. For the anointing to be over my children. But it takes 
warring in the spirit and not coming to the altar and doing. I still don't know what that is. Because I promise you, if you go further in prayer, God is going to change some things. If you go further in prayer, God is going to break some yokes that are on you that you cannot break. And I have to look to my Jesus and say, if he kept going back and he kept getting on his knees, what would it hurt for me to pray again? What would it hurt for me to go to the altar again? I get sick and tired of people that tell me, it's the same old people coming to the altar every single time. Hush your face. You don't know what's happening here when they come here. Things are shifting. Generational curses are breaking. Yokes are being pulled off. Don't belittle them for keeping coming back. Praise them and get behind them and go, let me pray for you too. What you got? Adultery? Let's pray about it. Are you hearing me? For the level of trouble and stress that your flesh is causing you every day, you got to go to the garden. This, the garden could be here. The garden could be up on the bluff. It could be in your car. Somewhere in your life, you got to keep going back to that tight spot so that God can press that flesh out of you. Press me until my flesh dies. Press me until the anointing flows. Press me until glory comes out. Press me until I look like you. As the musicians come, I'll get out of your hair. Because here's the deal. I've probably taught this wrong. And I know that some of the church has taught this wrong. We have raised believers to believe that prayer is what the Christian use to get their way. Prayer is what I use to move the hand of God. Prayer is what I use to change God. But under closer examination in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayer is what I use to change me. Because <laughs> when I look at Jesus, what did he say at first? He said, Father, if it is possible, I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to go through what I'm about to go I know what I'm about to go through. I've been with you forever. And once the weight of sin falls upon my back for the first time in history, in the first time of all eternity, your presence is going to be withdrawn from me. You will turn your back on me. And I've never felt that in my life. And I can't do it. That was the sorrow he felt. Not because of the cross. Because of the presence of God be lifted from him to the point of death that he sweat blood. Then he went deeper. Then he went deeper. He said, Father, if it's not possible, I'll drink it. If it's not my will, but yours be done. And I get tired of people that say, Pastor, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Nothing happened. You ain't prayed. <laughs> you may have said, now I lay me down to sleep. God bless this food and change my kids. 
that you haven't got down here in ward. That your soul is sorrowful for the flesh that's coming out. Your soul is sorrowful that you took the Holy Spirit into that argument with your wife. That your soul is sorrowful that you are the, the temple of the Holy Ghost and you're bringing him into sin. What I know about God in this holy moment, if, if we could just take the baby out to the lobby. I just need people to focus on what I'm saying. Or if you can calm it down, that'd be good. I'm, no disrespect, we just, this is a holy moment. When I talk to God, what I know about talking to God is it changes me. When I get into the Bible, it changes me. Talking to God changes your attitude. Getting into His Word and saying, What a wretched man I am, changes your attitude. Talking to God changes your behavior. Talking to God and reading His Word and praying through your tight spot changes your walk. And I'm prophetically telling somebody in this house right now, listen to me. Prayer and getting into the Word and and, and talking to Him will make you apologize even when you think you're right. Prayer will humble you. Prayer and getting into the Word and talking to God in your tight spot will press every bit of flesh out of you. Because when I go to my tight spot, and I'll admit, (laughs) I've acted like this. I'll admit, just yesterday, me and my wife were talking. She comes in with a bag of trash and she's like, do you just throw the trash in the uh, garage? She's got all these runs of things. I don't even know what she's talking about. I'm like, I don't think so. She's like, what about that cardboard that you left out of there? Well, I was studying something. I said, I'll get to it when I get to it. And she's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I thought to myself at that point, both of us just need to rise up. Right? Give your husband permission to look at you and go, rise up, girl. Right, baby? Rise up. And I give her permission. Anytime I'm acting like a a dummy, she can tell me, rise up, Brian. Don't you act like your daddy. (laughs) Because when I get in that tight spot, when I've done something to my kids or my wife, I feel the change. I feel the change. I get into the Word and I get into prayer and I start talking to God and that thing that used to bother me don't bother me no more. I get in the Word and I get into prayer and I begin to labor in the Spirit and that thing that used to get on my nerves, it don't get on my nerves anymore. The things that I used to fight about over petty things, I don't fight about anymore. Because in my tight place, I've got to learn to begin to pray, God, if you don't change it, change me. 
If you don't change my circumstance, then change me to handle the circumstance. And God, if you're not going to change the situation, then change me for the situation. And that's what I'm trying to produce in this church, is a church of believers that won't change. How many of you want to change? Then you need to settle in your spirit. I refuse to go to Northfield Church and be the same person I used to be. I refuse to get into the Word and be the same person I used to be. I refuse to go to the altar and start warring in the Spirit and laying things down and then picking them up. God bless (laughs) y'all. See you later. I'm so holy. Because that's what we do. Because we don't war to kill it. We put it down and then we grab it and run out with it. Are you hearing me this morning? Let the pressing come. Let the conviction come. God, press me until you change me. Press me until I get a new attitude. Press me until I get the brand new mind. Somebody in this place, you still, you came up last week, but you still need to let him press you. So I'll close with this. You're here today and you need the tight spot, the altar. Because your spirit is saying one thing and your flesh is saying something else. If that's you, you need to let him press you. Because watch what happens when you let him press you. Jesus was on his way out of the garden. He said, boys, watch this. Rise. Rise. Let's go what he said here comes my betrayer see what you got to understand is after prayer you're stronger now (laughs) after prayer and you've been pressed on you can take it now (laughs) after prayer you can face your enemy now with power with anointing because in prayer You've got enough power now to face any of this and say, you have no business in me because I'm dead to all of this now. (laughs) And that's what you're seeing, Jesus. I'm dead to my flesh now. Because if you're coming in here and you're waiting on something for nothing, baby, you're going to be waiting all your life. Or you can embrace the altar. You can embrace the garden. You can love conviction. Get in that tight place and let God press the flesh out of you. The question is, is who's willing to rise up and say, let's go. I'm going to be the man that he's called me to be, baby. To look at your husband and say, I'm going to be the woman that he's called me to be. Because you will never get it from my preaching alone. You've got to be willing to come to here. Get down on your knees and pray. Until you die and his will be done. Are you hearing me? God said, if my people who are called by my name. 
here's the ingredient, will humble themselves and pray. And while they're down on my, their knees searching the Scripture, they will seek my face. And anytime you seek His face, you will find your sin. You should turn from your wicked ways. And then when you say, God, forgive me of these things, press me, kill it, then the Bible says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. Watch this. And I will heal their land. Your land is not the hay that you're cropping or the beans that you're farming. Are the corn that you're producing. Your land is your little acre in your home that when I get rid of this, my land will be healed, my children will be blessed, my wife will be blessed because I'm a new person for them, for the anointing to flow out of me, that they can feel the love and they can feel the power of God. My land will be healed. And then if we all got it, And truly flowed in the anointing. The bigger land of the panhandle would be healed. Because now we're flowing in the anointing. And people are getting the love of God. And the power of God. And they too want what you've got. Are you hearing me? It's bigger than you baby. I keep telling you that. It's bigger than you. So if you go out of here and you wonder why your life hasn't changed. It's probably because you've never allowed God to take you to the tight spot and press all the flesh out of you. I understand you come down for prayer. But God ain't waiting for that. God's waiting for you to humble yourself down. Repent of your sins. And get right with Him. Father, send a sweet surrender in this place. Send a sweet surrender in this place.